Hey, good morning, Christian Chapel. Today, we are in week three of our new series that we've called Graves to Gardens. We started on Easter Sunday by talking about how Jesus can take the worst circumstances in life and turn them into really great moments. Um, Last week, we looked at the story of David and Bathsheba, and we talked about how our sin turns gardens into graves. And so we, we looked at, you know, some of the things that led up to David's sin. We talked about some of the, you know, how he was isolated. He was distracted. He, uh, it was just really convenient at that time for him to sin and how the enemy attacks us in the same way. And we want to avoid those behaviors. So if you missed last week, you can go back and listen to that. Uh, today we're going to continue with that story of David by talking about what happens when we sin. Now, as much as I would love for a simple warning to not sin to be sufficient for us, I know that's not the case for you. I know that's not the case for me. And so we really need to learn if Jesus is going to turn our graves into gardens, then we have to learn what our response is when our sin has turned gardens into graves. The Apostle Paul is very clear to us in his letter to the Romans that sin is going to be a problem for all of us. In fact, he tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then tells us the result of that in Romans 6, 23, when he says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul is telling us the same thing that Jesus told us and the same thing that we're learning from David's life. Our sin always leads to death. And the only hope we have of overcoming that death is Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to go back to the story of David and Bathsheba. So if you remember last week, again, parents, we're going to try to teach this in as family-friendly way as we can. Uh, I heard some interesting conversations occurred in some of your living, living rooms last Sunday, so Sorry about that. Um, and uh, today we're going to keep looking at when we sin, what do we do? So David was married and he sends the army off to war in the spring and he stays back behind. He gets up one night, he's walking around on the roof of his palace. He looks down, sees a woman bathing, finds, sends someone to find out about her, finds out that she's married, decides, I don't care, sins for her. He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. And then when he hears she's pregnant, he decides he's going to cover up his sin by bringing her husband back from the front lines. But that doesn't go how he expects. So he ultimately has her husband killed. He marries her and thinks that everything is now fine and everything has been taken care of. But if you read through 2 Samuel chapters 12 through 15 this week, you'll see the results of David's sin and you'll see how God does not allow him to get away with it. So the the first thing we learn from David's story is that when we sin, we will get caught. God loves us too much to let us continue in our sin. So for David, God speaks to a prophet named Nathan. And you can read later this week in 2 Samuel 12 what that confrontation is like. It's it's really pretty tense and and pretty dramatic. But Nathan confronts David with his sin and, and just calls him out on it. And it's a reminder to us of what Jesus tells us later in the Gospels, that the deeds done in darkness will be exposed by the light, that things whispered will be shouted from the rooftops. God loves us too much to let us stay stuck in secret sin. He's always going to expose it. 
Now, one of the, the benefits of us uh, preaching online and, and doing things this way is that it enables us to, to make some of these points in ways that might not be possible on a Sunday morning. So to help me um, explain to you this morning what it looks like and how destructive sin is, I asked my kids to come in and help me make that explanation today. So one of the lies the enemy tells us about sin is that we can engage in certain behaviors, activities, and it's only going to affect us and no one else is ever going to find out about it. All right, so it's kind of like saying you can go swimming without getting wet. But we all know that's not true, and it's the same way with sin. Our sin always has an impact on us, but what the scriptures teach us is our sin always has an impact on others as well. So the enemy says, not only can you swim without getting wet, but you can jump in without making a splash and there won't be any ripples, there won't be any tidal waves, there won't be any of that. But what the scriptures show us and what the story of David and Bathsheba teaches us is that when we sin, the consequences of our sin always go farther, faster, and affect more people than we could have ever imagined. And so this week we we came up and filled up the, the baptism tank here at the church, I asked my kids to help me. They volunteered very quickly. Uh, I think they've all faked a cannonball when they were being baptized anyways. So they're going to help us see what the actual impact of sin looks like and how it just kind of explodes in a way that we cannot always entirely predict, but is always bigger and goes farther and faster than we could have imagined. So sin is never just a a sneaky swim in the dark, but it's always just a a cannonball of destruction. And it splashes up farther and faster than you ever could have imagined. The, The tidal wave, the ripples of your sin, they touch more people, they continue longer than you ever thought possible. Sin is massively destructive. This is why it's a good thing that God doesn't let us get away with it. When we get caught, and initially it feels like a very bad thing has happened to us. But the worst thing would be if God had continued to ignore our sin and continue to live in this destructive lifestyle. So David is, is caught. He's found out. He's exposed for, for who he is and for what he's done. And then he shows us that when we sin and when we get caught, our, our next response is confession. So Psalm 51 is actually David's, just his plea of repentance and confession, where he's just pouring out his soul to the Lord. Now, when Nathan confronted David, he had all kinds of options. As the king, as the most powerful man in the nation, he could have uh, dismissed Nathan. He could have ignored his sin. He could have rationalized it. He could have minimalized it. But instead, David chose to own it. And he models for us exactly how we're supposed to respond when we get caught in our sin. We're to confess. And David begins in Psalm chapter 51, verse 1, by showing us the foundation of our confession. And it's not us, but the foundation of our confession is God and who he is. David says in Psalm 51, 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. So listen to those, those three words that David says, mercy, love, 
and compassion. He's not just describing what God does, but he's describing who God is. David confessed freely and fully because of his confidence in God's forgiveness. Now, now God would have been within his rights to put David to death. According to the Old Testament law, as both an adulterer and a murderer, David had no ground to stand on, and he knows that. And so his appeal is not based on, God, look at me and what I've done or what I might do in the future. His appeal is rooted entirely in who God is, that God is merciful, he is loving, he is compassionate. I think the reason some of us struggle to confess when we're caught in sin is because we don't really believe God will react in this way. We have a view more that that he's just going to kind of, you know, he's angry, he's big, he's strong, he's waiting for us to screw up, and then he's just going to rub our nose in it when we do. I think maybe this will help us understand. So I I know during this uh, last couple weeks, many families in Christian Chapel, um, you guys have bought dogs, because I guess... You know, if you've got a bunch of kids at home, why not go ahead and add one more thing to take care of during this time? But um, I get it, and, and I also know those of you who've got puppies, there are some new things you're going to learn. So actually, one of our, our families was going to help me today. So uh, Lauren, our worship pastor, her and her husband, Tom, they picked up a new puppy. This is, uh, this is Chipper. Chipper is a Vishla, and he is the, I don't know, like the... 107th male that lives in the Gancar's house now, I think. Uh, so Thomas and Lauren, they're five boys. They decided they needed a dog too. Now, I, I know some of you, when you get dogs, they live inside with you. Um, we're not dog people and we're definitely not indoor dog people. But if you are going to be an indoor dog person, you've got to learn to housebreak the dog, right? So you learn early on that you've, you've got to train it, you've got to condition it to go outside to do its business. Otherwise, there's going to be messes all over the place. Now, I, I know there's an old school of housebreaking a dog that says when they make a mess, you rub their nose in it, and that's how you're going to teach them to not make a mess anymore. I think that's the, the view some of us have of God still is he's just waiting for me to screw up, and then he might forgive me, but he's going to make it really miserable first. Now, with, with dogs, that method has been proven to be terrible, right? It, it results in a, a dog that is terrified of its owner. It doesn't really lead to the results you're looking for. And for us in our relationship with God, we have to get past that point as well. I'm going to give Chipper back because I know some of you have not heard anything I've said. You've only decided that you now want a Vishla too. So we'll give him back to Tom. But... We have this view that if God's going to forgive me, he's going to make me earn it. He's going to grind it out of me first. And so we're, we're scared to confess freely and fully. And, and so what we wind up doing is we confess at kind of a surface level. And we say, Lord, I'm sorry, I made some mistakes. Lord, I'm sorry, I slipped up a little bit. I'm sorry, I made some poor choices. But because David knows who God is, and he knows what God does, his confession is full, it's deep, and it's complete. In fact, listen to the words David uses to describe his own actions. He says in in verse 2 of Psalm 51, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So David uses four words to describe his actions. He doesn't say poor choice. He doesn't say mistake. 
He doesn't rationalize. He doesn't minimalize. He doesn't say, oh, it's because I was the pressure of the king. He doesn't do any of that. He says, Lord, what I did, it was iniquity. It was sin. It was a transgression. And it was evil. He is very clear to himself. He is very clear to the Lord. And he will be very clear to anyone who will listen. That his confession is the, the confession of the deep evil that lives inside of him. What he did, he was not just the victim of circumstances, but he was the victim and willing participant in his own sinful choices. When we confess, we confess fully and completely because we trust that God will forgive us. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus still turns our graves into gardens, that he still comes and confronts our sin, that he paid the price for us and he leads us into new life. So if you keep reading David's confession, you see uh, in the, the verse that follows there in verse four, he says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. See, confession does not remove the consequences of sin. So, so there, there's a, a little work that we have to do here to, to understand. You and I as followers of Jesus, We believe what Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 53, that the punishment that brought us peace was put on Jesus Christ. And so all of the eternal consequences of our sin, the eternal separation from God, right? The the terror that occurs between me and the Lord when I sin, that has been perfectly, finally, and completely restored in Jesus Christ. And so when I repent and confess my sins to him, that connection is instantly and permanently restored, renewed, remade. So I am now in right standing with God. Now, the the problem some of us have with confession is we think, well, if, if I've been restored like that with God, then I shouldn't have to deal with some of the other consequences in my other relationships. But but here's here's what we need to understand. If if we follow that line of thought, we're going to be very disappointed and we're going to be tempted to walk away from a lifestyle of repentance because what we know from our experience, what we know from the scriptures is when we sin, we repent, we're forgiven, but we often still deal with the natural consequences of our actions. Right, so, so you see this in David's life. He, he says, Lord, you are justified when you judge. And again, you can read through 2 Samuel chapter 12 and you'll see that Nathan tells David, hey, the Lord has said you're not gonna die from this. And so, so this is David's forgiveness. He's been restored, he's been renewed. And then Nathan says, but there are going to be consequences. Like the, the tidal wave of your sin has went so far that some of those things you're just going to have to deal with and you're just going to have to walk through. In fact, you can read through 2 Samuel 12 through 15 this week and kind of plot out your own little flow chart of the consequences of David's sin. And, and what you'll see as you work through there is first there were relational consequences. All right, so David's sin, the, the most immediate victim was Bathsheba. Right, he, he forced her into a relationship. And then the next victim was Uriah, her husband, who he had murdered. The last victim was the child that Bathsheba bore. The, the Lord said the child, David, that, that Bathsheba is carrying is going to die. And all of these things happen. But then there's family consequences as well that David walks through. 
his sin that he thought was just between him and another woman that no one would ever know about. And if they did, they wouldn't care, begins to filter through his family. It begins a a lifestyle of violence and betrayal that filters through his children and for generations to come. In fact, what Nathan tells David is because you killed Uriah with the sword of your enemies, the sword will never leave your house. And you see this played out over and over again. You can read some, some horrible stories about David's children and their interactions with each other. The stories of Amnon and Tamar and Absalom. Again, if David and Bathsheba is not family friendly, these are even worse, but they're the result of David's sin. Because when these things occur, David has lost the moral standing in his family to speak up for righteousness and to lead in the ways of the Lord. They know what he has done, and now these are the things that happen. And then finally, because he's the king, there are going to be some national consequences. Absalom, one of David's sons, rebels against him. He raises up an army. He engages in all kinds of betrayal and violence and immorality. Again, you can just see that the ripple effects of sin that all started on the rooftop of a palace with David thinking no one will ever know. Now, you and I, when we sin, we're going to get caught. God is not going to let us get away with it. And that is kind and good and gracious of him. And when we're caught, we have an opportunity to confess. And when we confess, we are forgiven, we are restored, we are back in right relationship with God. The eternal consequences are done. And yet we still often walk through the natural consequences of our sin. And my, my wife, Angie, is a nurse, and so she works um, about a day a week in the, one of the emergency rooms here in town. She also serves at a, a pregnancy center here in town. And at the pregnancy center, when she is consulting with clients, one of the things that, that girls who are considering abortions will most often tell her is, hey, I grew up in church. I'm a Christian. I know this is the wrong decision, but it's the most convenient thing, and I know God's going to forgive me. And in Angie's role at the pregnancy center, her job is to help these girls understand, hey, you, yes, he will forgive you, but there's a possibility of long-term consequences. And we know from our own counseling and and interaction with other women over the years that 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 choice to to abort a baby at 19, at 21, is something that women are still dealing with when they're 40, 50, 60 years old. They've been completely forgiven, completely restored, and yet they're still walking through the trauma of that event. We see this in our lives. We see this in the lives of people we love. When our sin, maybe we, we steal from our employer. Right? And so God forgives us completely and totally. We're remade as his sons and his daughters. And yet we might still get fired. We might not be able to work in those fields again. Right? There are still natural consequences to our actions. You see this in, in stories like David of marital unfaithfulness. Where yes, when we confess, God forgives us freely and completely all the way through. And yet we still have to walk through a process because it's, it's affected our, our spouse. It's affected our children. It's affected our friends. It just goes so much farther and deeper. For many of us, though, this is where we get aggravated and we think, well, Lord, if you're not going to take away all the consequences, then there's no point in me confessing. Because again, we have this small, short-sighted view that I'm going to confess for my benefit. But what Jesus is trying to teach us through the stories of David, through all of his stories of forgiveness, is that he forgives us for his benefit. 
He forgives us because he's come to turn every grave back into a garden. He's come to restore and renew. So when we're dealing with the consequences of our sin, we're not going to stop walking the path he has in front of us, but we're going to walk it with confidence that we have been forgiven, restored, renewed, and his spirit will lead us through it. The last thing we learn from David's story is that God forgives us for our good and his glory. As you read in Psalm 51, 13, David says, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. When we're forgiven, God does not intend for us to keep those stories of forgiveness secret and private. And yet that's what many of us do because we're embarrassed, because we're ashamed, but embarrassment and shame over forgiven sin is really kind of a sign and symbol to us that we have not fully appreciated and embraced the depth of our sin and the even deeper work of God's forgiveness in our hearts. So I wanna encourage you as you walk through the process of maybe you've been caught and you've confessed and you're dealing with the consequences, but God has remade your heart and he's brought you through the grave and turned it into a garden once again, your job is now to tell that story to others. Not because God wants to punish you, but because as you tell your story of forgiveness and restoration, it gives hope to others that what God has done for you, he can do for them as well. So I wanna finish this morning. I'm gonna pray for us. And then the band's gonna lead us in a final song that, that reminds us of the finished and complete work of Jesus on our behalf. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for each one of us today, but especially for those who are, are currently involved in things that, that they have no business being involved in. Lord, they've given in to temptation. They have embraced uh, sinful lifestyles, sinful behavior, sinful attitudes. I pray, Lord, as your spirit comes and brings conviction, as you shine light into the darkness, that we would embrace that, not as a punishment, but as a gift. Help us, Lord, to confess freely and fully. Help us to understand that, that you will completely remove the eternal consequences of our sins. We can be restored in our relationship with you. Help us to trust that as we walk through the natural consequences of our behavior, it is not proof that you have left us, but you will be with us every step of the way. I pray for those of us, Lord, who have experienced just the, the great and glorious forgiveness that you offer, that we would make a commitment to tell our stories of forgiveness for the good of others and for the glory of God in our world. We thank you, Lord, that for over every sin, Jesus has spoken forgiveness and life. In every space where we bring death, he restores and resurrects. So we pray that for each person, Lord, where sin abounds, may grace abound even more today. In Jesus' name, amen.
Christian Chapel, thank you for joining us today. I hope that you have heard God's message to you and that you are taking steps to respond to it. Again, I want to remind you, if you have any needs in your life, you can share those with us at christianchapel.com prayer. You can also continue to give and be part of what God is doing here in Tulsa and around the world at christianchapel.com give. And again, to stay up to date on on our changes and when we may or may not be able to meet again, either follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, visit christianchapel.com or email your contact info to info at christianchapel.com to be added to our distribution list. God bless you. I hope you have a great week.